Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Hello and welcome. It is Big Talk with Todd and with Noah, presented by Xfinity 10G Network. Todd, uh, look, we've been waiting for this for a long time, man. Yeah. We've been waiting yeah. for this for a long, long time. I know that we, we each kind of got the calls that we were going to be doing the Big Ten Saturday night stuff several months ago. And so it's been a lot of anticipation. Everybody keeps asking me how excited I am, if I can put the words, the excitement I'm feeling, and all of that. And I, I say, a great quote from uh, really a philosophical movie from many years ago. It's it's called Mean Girls with Lindsay Lohan. And <laughs> it's uh, the, the quote that I like to use is, the limit does not exist on my excitement for this season and certainly now for this podcast as well. So welcome to you and I guess Thank to you. myself as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for everything that's in front of us, right? I mean, you, you got it underway last week. You've got yeah. a little game under your belt. Um but I am, you know, I've been doing this a long time, and I don't know that I've ever been more excited about the start of a season as I am right now. I mean, I just, I, I can't wait. Uh, I love primetime football. I uh, get to go back to my alma mater for my first game as a, as a member of the NBC team at Penn State. So, um, and, and cover a game that was a, a big rivalry game when I played. So, uh, really, really excited to, uh, to kick it off and to kick it off with you, Noah. Yeah, the, so the rivalry thing is something that we're going to talk about a lot later and the funny thing was a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about this first week and I said, oh, I can't wait to get back there and see my name on the plaque. And you said, what? I said, you know, they put, <laughs> they put every broadcaster's name on a plaque. And you're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I, said, I didn't no. even know about it. Yeah, that's a thing that they do. So hopefully both our names will be on there by the time we get there. Yeah, I hope so. I know I paid to get my name on a brick. It's out in front of the stadium now. That's new for this year. So I got to check out. See if my name's on a brick there, and then I got to check out the plaque in the press box, too. Oh, you basically have a Hollywood walk of a, a star, walk <laughs> of fame. I love it. I love it. All right, so each week we're going to be doing this. It's going to be a lot of fun, just nice supplement to all the broadcasts we have. Going to review all the Big Ten stuff, more importantly, but certainly the whole landscape of college football. And so the right place to start is our favorite week, week zero, which is right. the official kickoff of the college football season. College football is back. That's what's the most important thing. We actually have games to talk about, and certainly it started with with Notre Dame and Navy, which I had the pleasure of calling in Dublin, yeah. which was a, a whirlwind of a week, Todd, but more than anything, Sam Hartman's debut for Notre Dame yes. and the Irish. And boy, did he look good. I, I, there were question marks, obviously, going from a slow mesh to more of an NFL-style offense, but if I could give him a score or a grade, it feels like an A++. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, it was a good start for him. I mean, first of all, Navy, they're outmanned, right? Uh, Even though they played them close last year, Navy had a really good year of stopping the run, but not very good on pass defense, which really, you know, played into the hands for Sam Hartman. And as soon as Notre Dame established their running game, which they did very early in that game, it just opened up so much to try to throw the football. And, you know, I'm a big Sam Hartman fan. I covered him several times uh, during his career at Wake Forest. In fact, his very first game that he played as a freshman, he came in against Notre Dame because of injury. And I mean, he was about 175 pounds and he got thrown all over the place like a rag doll by Notre Dame's defense. So to see him kind of come full circle, be a grown man with a full beard. And, you know, I mean, he, he, he's got a presence about him, right. And a maturity that I think really showed in that game and uh, to go along with the skill set. And I, I was intrigued. I knew he'd play well. But to me, one of the one of the overlying storylines of this whole college football season is the impact of transfer quarterbacks because it's all over college football, right? And so we got the first taste of that, the first look of that with Sam Hartman going from Wake Forest to Notre Dame and and playing an outstanding football game. Yeah, then we got to see another transfer in Caleb Williams, which we'll hit in a second. But right. the other part, so just that matchup in general from last year, you mentioned it was a close one. Navy ends up losing that basically at the end. They get a touchdown yeah. with under two minutes left. They can't recover the onside kick. But they, they scored 19 unanswered points in the second half after Notre Dame scored on their first five drives. They had 35. or were 35-13 at halftime. Right. And Navy made it a game. And a lot of credit goes to those young men for the way that, you know, the mental toughness that comes with being right. a part of the Naval Academy and kind of the, the resiliency that they played with. But the, the, the main difference, second half last year, Navy basically blitzed all out, zero, every single defensive possession mm-hmm. and five sacks in the second half to show for it. Right. This game... Didn't have a single sack. Partly, you have to give credit to, to Notre Dame's offensive line, which is excellent. And Joe Alt leads the way at left tackle. is one of the best yeah. in, the, in the entire country. But the second thing that stood out, as, as Jason and I were calling the game, was, and it's no disrespect to, to what Pine and Buckner did for Notre Dame last year, but it's just more of a lifting up of what Sam Hartman's capable of, picking up the yeah. blitz by himself. Yeah. recognizing when it's coming, recognizing when he needs to get out of the pocket or just wiggle just a little bit to his left or to his right and find an open receiver. He extended a couple of plays. He mm-hmm. had a couple of those great touchdowns, including the one at Great House, I believe, in the third quarter. And those, those to me, were examples of why Notre Dame fans should believe their team is capable of not just making a run of being a really good team, but being a legitimate playoff contender this year. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, you know, with Sam, a guy who's played as much football as he's played, there's nothing that he's seeing, no blitz, no defensive, you know, disguise of coverage. He's seen it all, right, in his career. And so he he recognizes things quickly. And I don't remember which touchdown it was, but, you know, Navy had a free blitzer. I mean, there was a guy that came unblocked. And Hartman eluded him, extended the play out to his left, found an open receiver by keeping his eyes downfield, you know, in the left corner of the end zone. I mean, you just – you don't do it any better than that. I mean, that, that Navy had the perfect defense called, and they still couldn't get him on the ground, and, they, and the result was a touchdown. So I think a couple other takeaways for me about Notre Dame, you know, before we move on. You know, they showed a variety of, of backs, right? I mean, all of them look like yeah. they want to carry the ball. You know, Notre Dame always has a good offensive line. We expected that. Uh, they had some receivers that that showed some flashes. 
Um, the defense in the second half really locked things down uh, as they did the whole game. And I think it was important for Notre Dame to play that way, that way and that well in the first game, because last year, you know, they, they looked good against Ohio State, but then they had let down shortly after that at home against Marshall and then later at home against Stanford. So I think playing well early for Notre Dame in, in a dominant fashion and looking like a more complete team, I think was very important. And I think they, I think they showed that. So it made me even more excited for our week four game, Notre yeah. Dame, South Bend, Ohio State, because that's the first of really three big tests on the schedule for them. You've got Ohio State, you've got USC, and you've got Clemson. And that leads us right to that second week zero game that I think most eyes were uh, really locked in on, and that would be USC and San Jose yeah. State. Look, the Trojans, you knew they would dominate this game in some facets, certainly on the offensive end. I think a lot of people were looking more defensively and what Alex Grinch's group was going to look like after maybe a disappointing year in some respects last year. They had a lot of takeaways. They were very opportunistic. I think you got to give them credit in the way that they yeah. really went after the ball, had some good ball hawks, especially in the secondary. And Tuli Tui Pelotu was a backfield wrecker a year ago, led mm-hmm. the, the entire country in tackles for losses. He's gone to the Chargers. They've got some returning you know, studs that they had last year and brought in some extra transfers defensively. But the story with that team is always going to be Caleb Williams. And I yeah. think he showed us exactly why he won the Heisman last year. And if there's ever going to be a matchup that could help determine the Heisman in the middle of the season – that Notre Dame-USC game with Hartman yeah. and Williams going head-to-head could be the one. Yeah, that'll be a fun one. You know, a lot of lot of football games between now and then. But here, here's my take on USC. You know, Caleb Williams and the offense did everything that we expected them to do against a good team. San Jose State is no pushover. I mean, they're a good football team, right? They're outmatched. And so USC did what they wanted to do offensively. And the big question about USC, are they capable of making it to the college football playoff? And then even looking beyond that, after Caleb Williams leaves and USC joins the Big Ten, you know, can they play a higher level of defense on a week-in and week-out basis? Now, Alex Grinch's defenses, whether he's at Washington State, Ohio State, wherever he's been, they've always been known for taking the ball away, right, and, and getting turnovers. But if you want to play championship level defense, you have to have a certain attitude and mentality and a tackling ability. And that was the thing that I didn't think they had last year. If you watch the the games against Utah and some teams last year, they didn't look interested in tackling and you've got to be interested in tackling. If you want to be a championship team um, and if USC is going to take that next step, it's going to be, come down to their defense and how much better their defense is this year. And, you know, interestingly enough, Lincoln Riley, this has kind of been his, his whole MO when he was in Oklahoma, they were a playoff team. And you looked offensively with the quarterbacks they had and and his creativity, they could play with anybody offensively in college football, but they couldn't stop people. And so when they got in the playoffs, it was good enough to win the big 12 and qualify for the playoff. It was not good enough to win a playoff game because you've got to play complementary football at the highest level. Well, that was always the the big thing, especially depending on the conference you're coming from, right? If you're in a Big 12 conference that at the time, especially everybody's putting up a ton of points and your defense is going to look that way against that competition, you just say, oh, maybe it's the offenses you're going up against. But when you're forced to go against legitimate defenses on the other side, you've got Big 10 defenses like a Michigan, like Ohio State, 
like yeah. Penn State that are going to be some of the better defenses in the country. And, of course, I'm not even mentioning the back-to-back national champions and Georgia Bulldogs. Right. It's a different level that your offense is now going to have to face. Therefore, your defense is going to have to step up their game and rise to the occasion. My question to you is this, I guess not even a question, but more so I'll just throw it out there. There's only been one repeat Heisman. There's one repeat Heisman, which is crazy to think, especially considering some of the the younger guys who have won it in more recent years, whether it was a Jameis, whether it was a Johnny Manziel, whose documentary is going nuts, whether it was a Tim Tebow. Like, there were guys who had opportunities to to potentially win. Obviously, even at USC, you could have gone to Matt Leinart in the early 2000s, but Archie Griffin's the only one to do it in the mid-70s. Right. Caleb Williams feels like he has as good a chance to repeat as a Heisman Trophy winner as any of those guys I mentioned, if not a better chance of any of those guys I mentioned. What do you look at in terms of his repeat opportunity? Well, I think certainly he's got a great opportunity. Uh, here's my thing and my feelings on the Heisman. And, you know, I would have probably said this on the air in week one, you know. Um, I don't like talking about, rankings of teams until the first week of October. I want to see them play for the month of September. I think preseason polls are ridiculous because you don't have anything to really base it on other than what they did a year ago. Uh, And I don't think the Heisman talk should start until November. Let Mm -hmm. guys play games because once you get into November, then those are the games that really matter, right? And for me as a Heisman voter, my biggest criteria is how do they play in the biggest games on the biggest stage you know, when the, when the games mean the most. And so certainly he is in a position to, to have a great chance to win it again. I just hope there's not too much talk now. You know, like I, what I hate is if people start saying it's Caleb Williams award to lose and they're doing that in August and September, no, just let the kids play, you know, and we'll pick up the conversation midway through and then we'll say, okay, who are really playing at an elite level and can should be considered as the best player in college football? Yeah, I like it. I, I think that's the only fair way to do it. Uh, the only, I guess, caveat there, because to your point, especially conference football, the, the biggest games are going to be late in the, later in the season. But for a, a guy like Sam Hartman and Notre Dame, you're an independent. You're getting those big games early. And, you know, he yeah. wasn't there last year when they played Ohio State in week one. He wasn't there last year when they lose to Marshall in week two as a result. But he's there this year when they dominate Navy in week zero. And then you've got Ohio State week four. You've got USC in the middle of the season. and You've got Clemson late. And the the intriguing game that I feel like not a lot of people are talking about on Notre Dame's schedule, and then we can move on past week zero. But the intriguing game is that second to last week of the season, they've got Wake Forest. And I don't care Mm -hmm. who you are. And I know it's in South Bend. But I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. There's a little extra emotion that goes with playing against a team and a group that you played with especially in his case for five successful years. Yeah, there, there will be, you know, and, and, you know, again, he's got a maturity about him that what you hope would kick in and not allow him to go outside of himself or try to do too much. Um, but that'll be interesting. And I'm sure it'll be, you know, one of those things where he'll see some guys before the game, he'll hug a lot of guys next after the game. Uh, but I don't know that Wake Forest matches up all that great with Notre Dame, especially in South Bend. No doubt. No doubt. All right, let's move to the Big Ten because that's what we're really here to do. Big Ten football starts this week, which is exciting. We'll be at Penn State, and we'll get to that game last and and in detail. But let's start with Ohio State because I'm curious your thoughts. They take on Indiana to start their season on the road. The QB thing is is the biggest storyline for them. It was interesting as I was kind of going through and looking through because I was like, 
man, Ryan Day hasn't had a, a whole lot of quarterbacks. It's really been pretty consistent. Right. And I looked full time. He's had Justin Fields and CJ Stroud, and that's it. And I'm not saying he's going to ever find two guys just as talented as those two guys. There's a good chance he can because it's Ohio State. But this right. year, it's very different. You've got Kyle McCord and Devin Brown that are still battling for that top spot. And there's a lot of reports saying that there's a good chance they'll go dual quarterback in week one. So what do you see out of the Ohio State quarterback battle? What do you expect from the Buckeyes this year? Well, whoever it is, first of all, whoever it is, the talent around the yeah. quarterback at the skill position at Ohio State is as good as anywhere in the country. I mean, the wide receiver room is ridiculous. The running back room is healthy now and loaded with depth. Uh, so whoever's playing, and if it's more than one, um, they they just got to get the ball in the hands of the right people, you know, and the skill will take over. And Ohio State's schedule, I don't think, is all that challenging until they get to that Notre Dame game. Uh, they will clearly outmatch their first three opponents and uh, and give both of those quarterbacks a chance to to emerge. I mean, whether Ryan Day doesn't really know who his number one guy is or not, you know, a lot of times people will say, there's two ways of thinking about this, Noah. Sometimes people say, if you have two quarterbacks, that means you have no quarterback sure. and you can't make a decision. But I don't think that's always the case. I think, you know, if, if look, Nick Saban is not saying who his starting quarterback is at Alabama, right? And they're content, considered to be a championship contending team. I remember last year, Jim Harbaugh said, hey, I'm a former quarterback, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play this guy in game one. I'm going to play another guy in game two, and then we'll make a decision from there. And a lot of people thought that was a, a crazy idea. I actually thought it was a good idea. Rather than try to mix them into the same game, let them have a game where they don't have to worry about when they're coming out or how many series they get or if they make a mistake or they get to, do they get to go back out. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see what Ryan Day does. Uh, with the quarterback position. They're obviously both talented kids, both recruited to go there and play, uh, both competitive kids, uh, great skill around them, you know, good offensive line. And and again, I think with Ohio State, the biggest thing will be how good will their defense be in year two under Jim Knowles. They were good against most of the teams they played in conference, but at the end against Michigan and Georgia, they weren't very good. So how big of a jump do they make in year two under Jim Knowles? It's an excellent question. And I think the point you make about just the overall talent, I'm not sure there's any team in the country that has more top-tier talent than Ohio right. State at the skill positions at minimum. And, of course, Marvin Harrison Jr. leads that that group, and he's going to get all the accolades and all the, the attention, rightfully so. But you go down the list of that running back room, as you mentioned, and, and the full receiving core and, and everybody. So I'm excited about that. And I know Brian Hartline's excited about that now taking over as the offensive coordinator. I'm curious your perspective yeah. on this because Brian had an excellent NFL career himself, but he was a guy who had to really grind. He had to do everything, you know, a little bit harder and, and better than everybody to make sure he stayed in the NFL as long as he did. How do you feel players like that who maybe weren't as just naturally gifted but worked their tails off to get to where they were become better coaches? Well, I think the same way. You grind, right? You grind as a coach. I mean, I remember when Brian Hartline was just toying with the idea of whether he wanted to be a coach. You know, he's from Canton, Ohio, which is where I'm from. I remember Brian came to my – I had a quarterback camp for high school kids uh, – and Brian was a quarterback early in his high school career. And he came to my camp, his brother, Mike, who is now 
the wide receiver coach at University of Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, Charlotte. Um, you know, they, they're, they're coaches and he's worked really hard. Once he decided to make a full gone com a commitment to being a coach, which is a hard job, long hours of recruiting, and he's carved out a tremendous niche as a recruiter, right? I mean, he's already well known as that. He's become a really good position coach. And so the next step for a guy like that is to, is to try his hand at being a coordinator. I have no idea whether he has aspirations of being a head coach, but um, I think he's ready for the challenge. And, and he's a guy that, you know, he understands learning from the people that have been ahead of him in that coordinator role and a play caller role. And, and he'll lean on the rest of the guys on that staff as well. But I think, I think Brian's an excellent coach and he's ready for this challenge. All right, uh, looking at another game and matchup for this week, Saturday, Utah State travels to Iowa City and takes on the number 25 Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, there's storylines every year, especially offensively for Iowa and whether or not they're going to find a way to improve their defense under Phil Parker. It's just always incredible. And they've got right. incredible talent on that side. Cooper DeGene should be one of the best defenders at any position in all of college football this year. But Kate McNamara making the, the decision to go over there and, and see if he can really rise up and, and raise everybody around him on the offensive side. Because it feels like if Iowa gets any sort of consistent offense, they can be as dangerous as anybody in the Big Ten and certainly in the Big Ten West. So what are you seeing out of the Hawkeyes as they head in the season? Yeah, I think that that's, that's the whole issue, right, it, it is if they can get some measure of offense to match the high – elite level play of their defense over the last couple of years. You know, a lot of people forget Cade McNamara was the starting quarterback who led Michigan to the college football playoff in 2021. He was the starting quarterback when the season began last year. And then JJ McCarthy ended up winning the job. Uh, you know, McNamara got hurt and, you know, didn't play anymore, but then decided to transfer to Iowa. I think there's still some question if he's 100% healthy, completely back Yep. Um, I've seen a few reports where that's a little bit of a question mark, but he can play, you know, and I don't think he's as, you know, I think Michigan made the right decision in going with McCarthy because I think he brings more to the table as an athlete and as a dual threat. But Cade McNamara is a good quarterback and he's a competitor and he's going to have a chip on his shoulder and he's a mature guy. Um, and, you know, Eric all also transferred there, the tight end, who was a very talented player at Michigan as well. So, and you know, and then who knows? I mean, Brian, Ferenc, you know, Ferentz has got the, the, the contract incentives and they've got to score X number of points for him to get paid and this and that. Uh, Iowa, look, if, if they get some kind of offense, I think it'll come down to them in Wisconsin and Illinois battling it out for the West. And I think that uh, that'll be fun to watch with Cade. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun to watch. And you bring up Wisconsin. They've got Buffalo. They're hosting them Saturday as well. Luke Fickle, first year there. I know that you're a big fan of Luke Fickle and, and how he yeah. really raised that Cincinnati program. And, you know, I, I went back because I was like, man, how long did it take him to really turn that? Within a year, they were, what, a nine-win team? Yeah. And he has yeah. a lot more talent automatically at Wisconsin and Madison than he ever did over there in Cincinnati, at least off the bat. So, it feels like the expectations are high. They're a top 20 team right off the bat. And as you would say, your, your favorite preseason poll, but outside <laughs> of that, it, it also feels like the development over the course of the year is going to be important for the Badgers. Yeah. So here, here's the thing about Luke fickle. Um, 
and what I think he's bringing right away and brought right away to Wisconsin. Now, you know, Wisconsin was a program that was used to winning, right? Used to having success. A little bit of a step back the last couple of years, but still not a bad program and still good players there, right? He had a, a running back that had over a thousand yards last year that he inherited, right? Uh, but Luke Fickle was a nose guard at Ohio State. He's a tough guy, right? He was a high school state champion wrestler for four years, right? So he brings that kind of attitude, that kind of mentality, that kind of toughness uh, and a day-to-day accountability to the Wisconsin team that maybe they haven't had quite the same over the last couple of years. So I I think that's going to pay dividends. Um, They did a great job of going out in the transfer portal and improving their football team, particularly at the skill position. They went out and got four or five receivers out of the portal. They got three quarterbacks out of the portal. Tanner Mordecai is a guy a lot like Sam Hartman, who's played a lot of football, right? And he's got one more year of eligibility, was very good at SMU, understands the offense that that Wisconsin wants to run now. Uh, You know, Phil Longo, the new offensive coordinator, I'm a big fan of his. I've known him for a long time, covered him at Ole Miss and also uh, at North Carolina. Uh, so it's a lot of intrigue around what that offense is going to look like. Uh, it's going to be different than what Wisconsin has done in the past, but they're, they're not going to abandon the run, you know, even though they'll spread it out and play a little faster. Um, you know, Phil Longo knows uh, what butters his bread. And if he's got a talented back and big offensive lineman that can run block, uh, they're still going to run the football. You know, the biggest question is just how does that offense look in November in Mm. Madison compared to September, you know, if you want to throw and play fast and, and do that, it's, it's, it's easier to do when the weather's good than it is if the weather gets a little nasty, which in the big 10, it's going to do at some point. I'm excited about a lot of these big 10 offenses because, you know, the big 10 has been known for the grounded pound grinded out for so many years to see some of that air raid tendency come over. Certainly Graham Harrell going over to Purdue. It's going to be a lot of fun, but uh, I, I do think Phil Longo is going to bring a little bit of a different dynamic there. And having Tanner Mordecai to, to really steer the ship in year one is going to be fantastic. There, there are a couple teams that it feels like either don't get the credit that they deserve on a year-to-year basis or are looking to kind of hit the restart button. And two of those go head-to-head week one here. That's Thursday. Nebraska is at Minnesota. And, and I feel like Minnesota doesn't get – credit for being as consistently good as they've been under P.J. Fleck. I think Nebraska, Matt Rule, first year, you know, we've discussed this. The the Matt Rule process is exactly that. It it is a process. And Mm -hmm. if anybody thinks it's going to happen year one, I think you're probably a little misguided. But he's proven that he's capable of doing this at multiple places. He's proven that he's capable of leading young men and really – maturing young men because yeah. that's that's what I've heard about Matt Rule is it's how he holds everybody accountable within a program and certainly the kids but it, it's almost two programs that are in very different spots for different reasons one's for a model of consistency and one's for for trying to get back to where they were no let me tell you this story real quick before I comment more about Matt in Nebraska talk about holding people accountable he, he holds his coaches accountable too I yeah. was out there in the spring and I went to a practice and they were having a live goal line scrimmage in the spring. And the offense ended up scoring on a play. It was like a little end around. And the running back slash receiver stuck the ball out 
before, you know, right as he was crossing the goal line and Matt went off. Obviously, this was something they had talked about sure. previous to that. And he made not only the whole offense, but all the offensive coaches line up on the sideline and run over and backs as as payment for bad ball security on the goal line. So uh, he holds wow. everybody accountable, himself included. Uh, look, Nebraska is one of those great places in college football. I had the privilege when I was at Penn State, we had a series with Nebraska and I played out there my junior year in 1981. And it's it is an incredible place for college football. One of the best fan bases anywhere. And even when they've struggled, they still sell out that stadium and everybody's dressed in red. Six years, it's almost hard for me to imagine they have not had a winning record or been to a bowl game in six years. Great. I think that changes. I, I think they I think they win enough to play in a bowl game this year in wow. Matt's first year. Um, I think that they will be that much improved. I think they'll have a toughness about them, uh, an ability to run the football, and and their quarterback, another transfer quarterback, they're all over, particularly the Big Ten West. But Jeff Sims comes after having a very productive career at Georgia Tech. He's a dual-threat guy, a big, strong kid. Um, and, and I think that Nebraska will will make a dramatic turnaround. But, you know, I don't think they can contend for the West in year one, but I do think they can be a bowl team. Now, they that's a, this is a bad draw for Matt Rule to play at Minnesota in yeah. week one. Because you're right, P.J. Flex team has been one of the more consistent teams that nobody talks about over the last few years. Now, they've got to break in a new quarterback. Their quarterback, Tanner Morgan, seemed like he was there eight years, right? <laughs> so they got to break in a new quarterback, a new running back. Uh, but they've got a culture there and a system there that works. It doesn't fit for everybody not every kid could go there and thrive but the kids that choose to go there and understand what kind of a culture they're going into uh they've got something special there and and pj fleck you know you may not agree with all his sayings and mottos and mantras and all that but the guy can coach and you know he was good before he got to minnesota and he's been good there and um so that that's a tough draw for nebraska opening up on the road uh, up in Minneapolis. No, dude just gets results. And that's, yep. again, to your point, there's a lot of things that maybe a, a lot of people disagree with. You have to at least look at the, the sheet, look at the records, and say, okay, I can respect that. By the way, I'll just say this as an aside, because you mentioned uh, you mentioned Tanner Morgan, and obviously we're talking about Sam Hartman. This this is probably the last year of, like, the, the super, super, super. I hope so. Never... Yeah, I hope well, so. But yeah. that's what I was – it has this to be right. It, I think so. But here's what I was about to say, though, Todd. And I mean, you can you can refute this, but part of me kind of likes it because we know these guys. Tanner Mordecai is another example. We know these guys who can play. We know that they're experienced, especially at the quarterback position. You know that you're getting high level quarterback play, and it's helping to at least maybe in theory, in theory, it's helping that next generation to kind of make the transition a little bit easier. I agree with you. I think it's insane that we have. You know, Stetson Bennett last year at 25 years old getting drafted, and he's he's older than, like, half the starting quarterbacks right. in the NFL who have been there for three years. That was – I did the the Chargers-Rams preseason game, and Stetson Bennett is older than Justin Herbert, who just signed his That's second so contract crazy. in the NFL. So he crazy. Was, he yeah. was a teammate with Sony <clears throat> Michelle who's already retired right. from right. the NFL. Like, I, that's uh, insane. I, I agree yeah. with that. 
But part of me likes the Van Wilder fact of these kids still being there and, and enjoying whatever college classes yeah. they get to take. I don't know. That's just me. Well, you know, and here's here's what I do like about it, okay? Um, now, Stetson Bennett was good enough to get drafted or whatever. So, you know, some of these guys, I think it's kind of cool that a quarterback like a Tanner Mordecai who may not translate to uh, certainly a, not a high NFL pick might be able to make a roster – but nowadays with NIL, you can stick around and play another year or two in college and make some pretty good coin right through NIL. And, and rather than taking a chance of maybe making a team as a free agent or maybe not making it and being on a practice, certainly going to make more than being on a practice squad somewhere in the NFL. So in that respect, I, I do kind of like it for guys. Yeah, no doubt. All right, real quick, let's just uh, one more to kind of get a little in depth on Northwestern Rutgers. The main reason here, obviously, the Northwestern just vibe. And David Braun, who I know you got a chance to talk to in Indianapolis yeah. at Big Ten Media Days, replacing Pat Fitzgerald, young, up-and-coming type of coach who, defensive-minded, he's still going to be calling the defense as he's the head man over there. I mean, that's a difficult position to be in. They, yeah. they go to Rutgers uh, Sunday the 3rd, so that the final day of week one of the college football season Rutgers with only six conference wins in the last six years. And I don't think, you know, obviously Greg Schiano hasn't been there the whole time of those six years. I don't think that's a Greg Schiano thing. I, I believe that Greg's a good yeah. coach. I think he's a good motivator. I think he's a good recruiter. I just think there's limitations on what you can do with that program. I also, I'm curious, can Gavin Wimsett take a, a step forward as their starting quarterback? He was a pretty high-level recruit considering the program. But the story here is David Braun. What do you, I guess, what should the expectations be? for Northwestern's new head man. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, look, they won one game last year, right? And that was the game over in Ireland when they beat Nebraska to start the season. Um, so expectations are not going to be high for Northwestern. It's a very difficult situation David Braun is stepping into. First of all, he had great affection and respect for Pat Fitzgerald because that's why he chose to go there and coach as a defensive coordinator, left a good job in North Dakota to go and, and for this opportunity, had no idea he would soon become the head coach, right? So he still wants to call the defense. He still wants to kind of have his hand on that. I think he did a really smart thing in bringing Skip Holtz uh, into the fold to kind of just be another voice, another set of eyes, another experienced guy who's who's been a head coach. I think that'll be really helpful for him. Um, but the expectations, you know, what's the mindset of the players? I mean, wh where are they at? The good news for them, and, and this is true with all athletes, no matter whatever crap is going on outside, athletes have the ability to kind of pull the wagons in and, yeah. and kind of take this, it's us against the world mentality. And then to go out on the practice field or to go on the road and play a game that's like solace. You know, you get away sure. from all the noise and you get to go do something you really like to do. So I'm sure they're looking forward to going on the road, getting away from a lot of the questions and the distractions and, and doing what they went to Northwestern to do, which was to go play football. Um, Greg Schiano, I agree. I think he's a really good coach. I think this is a, a big game that Rutgers needs to win. They need to get off on the right foot with a win in this game. And here's the reality. I think it's it was, this was like this. When I was at Penn State, New Jersey has always been a good place to recruit high school football players. Yes. They got a lot of talent. They just could never keep any of them in the state of New Jersey. They were going to Penn State. They were going to Syracuse. 
Running backs were going to Nebraska. I mean, they were all over the place, right? If he can win at all there, which he proved in the past that he could, um, there's a lot of talent to try to keep at home if you can build some momentum and build some positivity. And But it's it's not been an easy job his second time around here at Rutgers. No, let's put it this way. The, obviously, just was there in Dublin for Notre Dame and Navy. Notre Dame, two of their top four uh, defensive linemen, out of the state of New Jersey, and their top yeah. running back, Audric Estime, out of the state of New Jersey. I mean, we're talking about high-level Division right. One football players that come from Jersey, and and look, they're just not they're not staying there, to your point. It's just how it's been for the longest time. It's not like this is a new trend. It's not like NIL has affected it. It just it right. is how it's always been. And so it's unfortunate, uh, and you, you hope for Greg's sake because – I like him, and I and I really like him as a coach. And I think that he's a – anybody who's played for him, let's put it this way, anybody you talk to who's played for him loves him. And yeah. you, you always hear that. And so that's all I'll, I'll kind of say on the Rutgers side. You know, other other games we won't get into today, but teams obviously we're going to hit throughout the season. Michigan State takes on Central Michigan. That feels like a, a necessary not just win, but convincing win and getting out yeah. of there unscathed for a, a Sparty team that last year – was disappointed that they couldn't get to a bowl game, especially with how the last two weeks of the season went for Mel Tucker's team. Friday is that one. Uh, Purdue hosts Fresno State. A, a sneaky good game on Saturday. Sneaky good game. Mm-hmm. Fresno won't be quite as good as they, they have been without Jake Hayner now. But um, Purdue, new coach, new offensive coordinator, new quarterback. It'll, yeah. it'll be fun to at least see all of that together. That's Saturday. Yeah. You know, Ryan Walters, I mean, I, I visited with him last spring also. You know, one of the bright young coaches was the defensive coordinator on an outstanding defense at Illinois a year ago. Um, you know, he's in his late 30s, you know, a first-time head coach. And Purdue was in the Big Ten championship game a year ago. So they, he didn't inherit an empty cupboard either. Jeff Brom had a pretty good thing going but wanted to go home to Louisville. And, uh you know, so Ryan Walter steps in, but that schedule for them early, you mentioned Fresno, tricky. They go to Virginia Tech, I think, in week two, and then they've got Syracuse at home, the game that we'll be doing in week three. So no easy uh, layups for, for Ryan Walters and Purdue right out of the gate. No, but that offense could be a lot of fun. And Graham Harrell yeah. had, had his kind of pick at it last year at West Virginia or the last two seasons, but this year at, at Purdue and especially in the Big Ten, that could be embracing that a little bit more. That air raid style could be a lot of fun. Uh, Maryland has Towson, who will have Maryland week two. So we'll get yep. deep into that game next week. And Illinois hosts Toledo in what they hope is a run towards the uh, Big Ten West title. So two games for NBC, one on Peacock, one on NBC. We'll get into our game last. But let's start with East Carolina and number two, Michigan. That is Saturday noon on Peacock. Mike Tirico and Chris Sims will be on the call for that one. The, the main thing that we've heard for the last couple of weeks, of course, is the Jim Harbaugh suspension stuff. He won't coach the first three games. This one is going to be coached by Jesse Minter, their defensive coordinator, as uh, Sharon Moore, the offensive coordinator, will not yeah. be available for this game as well. So that's a wrinkle. But, look, it's a Michigan team that's so so much better in terms of their top-end talent than what East Carolina is going to provide we know that J.J. McCarthy is back after a highly successful year. Blake Corm is back after what looked like a potential Heisman campaign cut short at the end of last year. It's pretty clear, and a lot of people have said that this could be Jim Harbaugh's most talented Michigan team that he's had. 
pretty clear that it's title or bust or at minimum get to the college football playoff national championship game or bust. They've won the Big Ten. They've broken through on that one. But what are you seeing in terms of the overall team in Michigan and, and kind of how they can look throughout this season? Well, I agree. I think this is probably Jim's most talented roster that he's had since he's been at Michigan. Now they've tasted, you know, they've tasted the playoffs the last two years, but did not play well in the semifinal games. You know, I did the game against TCU last year. Nobody thought Michigan was going to lose that game, particularly nobody in maize and blue. And uh, they made too many mistakes. They had two pick sixes. They had penalties. They had turnovers, stuff they hadn't done all year on their run to the Big Ten championship uh, that they had back to back. So I think now you're right. I think they're looking at it. Okay, not only do we want to beat Ohio State again and Ann Arbor and make it three in a row there, which they have not had in a long time, get back to the playoffs, and now this time win a game in the playoff and make it to the to the national championship game. So I think anything less than that will be a disappointment. Um, you know, unlike Ohio State, who's still trying to decide who their quarterback is, unlike Penn State, who is breaking in a new quarterback in Drew Aller, uh, you know, and some other teams in the West that's a new system, new coach, new quarterback, Michigan has a proven guy. There's two teams in the Big Ten that have a proven guy playing quarterback. Maryland with Tunga Valoa and J.J. McCarthy at Michigan, who got better and better as the year went on last year. So, I mean, he's a very talented kid, a very confident kid. He gives them the ability to extend plays and do things on third down. And then also you mentioned Blake Corm. The combination of Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards is as good of a running back duo as there is in college football. For another year, they, they restocked their offensive line through the transfer portal. They brought in some guys that'll play right away. This is a team that won the Joe Moore Award as the top offensive line two years in a row. So uh, they're still going to be able to play their style of football. Defensively, second year for Jesse Minner as a defensive coordinator. They got a lot of talent and speed on the defense. My biggest question about Michigan, and really as it as it pertains to them being a national championship, capable of winning a national championship, what about their wide receiver position? Do they have some guys who can step up? I, I don't see on the roster elite level players at wide receiver like mm -hmm. you see at Ohio State, you know, like you've seen at Alabama over the last several years. So th that to me is the one question mark. Yes, they can run the ball. Yes, they've got tight ends. Yes, they've got running backs and a talented quarterback. But what about uh, the wide receivers and guys that can can put the fear of God in you? Uh, in terms of running down the field. Ohio State has that. Michigan doesn't, I don't think, right now. No, that's that's a good breakdown. Last but not least, we are going to Happy Valley. Penn State hosts West Virginia, a renewed rivalry. Look, as we said at the top, I'm just not sure there's there's the correct words I can, I can really figure out right now to describe the excitement for us. I'm sure the students yeah. feel the same way. A primetime game, a night game to start their season going to be a packed house at beaver stadium 7 30 nbc we'll have all the coverage we've got pre-game pre-game coverage as well uh led by maria taylor and company so it's going to be a, a lot of fun but it's a rivalry that dates back to 1904 haven't played since 1992 so the renewing of it is going to feel different uh penn state leads the all-time series pretty handedly 48 9 and 2 west virginia hasn't won since 88 west virginia we could get into them a little bit here 
Neil Brown's on the hot seat. I think it's it's pretty yeah. pretty clear. And Neil has been there now a couple of years. They've won either five or six games every single year. And that's been pretty much it. They've been right in the middle every single year, either a bowl team or just missing a bowl eligibility. Is there anything that you see out of West Virginia that they can really make this a fun game, a fun matchup, and more importantly for them, a memorable season to keep Neil Brown there long-term? Well, I I think the biggest thing that they have going for them and that they're going to absolutely have to have in this game, I think they can run the football. You know, they've got their whole offensive line back, led by their center, who's an All-American, Zach Frazier. C.J. Donaldson last year started the year. He was not even a full-time running back. But he's legit. I mean, he's a real guy, you know, and he's big. He's physical. He can make people miss. You know, he he didn't play a whole season, didn't have a ton of carries last year. He'll be the feature guy, but they've got some depth behind him. They've got to run the football. Uh, They've got to keep their defense off the field because last year the defense was the Achilles heel. This is an offense that scored over 30 points a game, and yet their defense gave up even more a game. So, I don't know that they've overnight improved their defense. They got to protect them a little bit. And the best way to protect them, particularly on the road in a hostile environment, is if you can run the football. Uh, Garrett Green, the starting quarterback, played well, I thought, the last three games. You know, they beat Oklahoma and they beat Oklahoma State and lost to the Big 12 champion Kansas State the last three games. But he did a lot of good things. He's a good runner, uh, he's good with the RPO game. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the offense looks exactly the same since Graham Harrell left to go to Purdue, but they promoted from within. Chad Scott, I think, is the the new offensive coordinator, was the running back coach. So I think running the football and then hoping to hit some shots in the play-action game, but keep Penn State's offense off the field. If you can run it, you can take the crowd out of it a little bit, but uh, it's not easy. It's not going to be an easy challenge. Penn State's a really good football team. There's a lot of hype and a lot of expectation. And West Virginia's schedule, not only do they play them and renew a rivalry, yep. they play Pittsburgh again. They renewed that rivalry last year, the backyard brawl, and so that'll be a tough one for them. And then early in their Big 12 schedule, I think they've got Texas Tech right out of the gate who uh, you know is going to be a really good football team with Joey McGuire. So not an easy situation for Neil Brown, uh, but we'll see what they got in week one. Yeah, running the football, not just to keep the defense off the field, not just to protect potentially a new starting quarterback, whoever it may be, if it is Garrett Green or Nico Marchiol, but the fact that they've lost most of their weapons on the outside, Bryce Ford Wheaton yeah. off to the NFL, Caden Prather's transferred to Maryland. He had a stellar season last year. So it'll be interesting to see who could emerge for them offensively for sure you mentioned the expectations in in state college right now similar to to Jim Harbaugh in Michigan a lot of people could really I guess are assuming or believing that this could be James Franklin's most talented team in his decade Mm -hmm. now run as the head coach over at Penn State it's remarkable what he's done in the modern day of college football with NIL and transfer portal and everything to keep his most important positions on the team and most specifically quarterback because he's essentially had three starting quarterbacks right. over the course of 10 years. It started with Christian Hackenberg. It went to Trace McSorley. And then of course, Sean Clifford, who was just, it felt like almost underrated in how yeah. consistently solid he was for them every single year. And last year, another 11 win season, a Rose Bowl victory over Utah. 
So they return a lot of the pieces that they had from a really good football right. team. And you slide in this highly touted recruit in Drew Aller, in theory. We're, we're assuming he's guaranteeing to start. In all likelihood, he's going to start for this yeah. team in, in highly likelihood. And so Drew Aller comes in there. And I, I went back because I did that last game of the year last year, Penn State, Michigan State, the, uh, the, the Black Friday game. And I went back and looked at the notes that I had from the meetings with James Franklin and some coordinators and some coaches. And they all said that the, the happiest thing or the, the thing that I guess brought them the most solace coming into this season with Drew was that they got him real live reps in almost every single game last year. And a lot of that had yeah. to do with how good Manny Diaz's defense was in allowing mm-hmm. for Penn State to protect some big leagues, big leads. A lot of that had to do with how good Sean Clifford was in helping to build the big leads. But they said Sean was good about helping to kind of raise him and his his knowledge of the offense and, and how to lead the team. But more importantly, and you know this as a, as a former quarterback yourself, getting live reps almost every single week is massive in the development of a young QB. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, first of all, before I break Penn State down a little bit more, uh, oh, by the way, of those three quarterbacks, Trace McSorley still in the NFL. And Sean Clifford has now been named the backup quarterback in Green Bay. So yep. uh, not only two guys uh, that played a lot of games at Penn State, but they also are really good, talented guys. And now here comes Drew Aller, who is the most highly decorated, highly recruited quarterback that they've had there in a long, long time. Um, probably since Kerry Collins, I would guess, you know. But yep. anyway, um, <laughs> he's very talented. He's big. He's he's athletic. You know, he was a multi-sport, three-sport guy in high school. Um, all kind of arm talent. He seems like he has the right temperament, the right approach. He's got the right humility. He wants to be coached. He wants to be great. And I thought it was brilliant that not only did they play him in a lot of games last year, but they traveled him. He got the feel for, you know, going on the road, like a business trip, sitting in the meetings, the pregame stuff. Everything he was exposed to will help him now as he steps into the starting role, but it will still be different. Yeah. It'll, it'll still be different when the bright lights are on Saturday night and he's the guy and, and it's his game. Um, I went back and watched all of his plays from last season and he shows flashes. I mean, he's, even though most of his time was in mop up duty, they still let him throw and you could see he's got talent. The best thing going for Drew Aller right now is Katron Allen and Nicholas Singleton, okay? <laughs> the fact that they've got a running game that is legit. Two guys who are outstanding players, will both be sophomores, looking to take the next step in their development. Probably the best, not only the most talent James has had, probably the best offensive line that they've had in James Franklin's tenure here. So Drew can lean into that running game. And I think that's going to be really important for two reasons. It's a good way to take pressure off a young quarterback but also the one question mark for Penn State a little bit, kind of like Michigan, is who emerges on the outside as wide receivers. They lost their top two guys from a year ago. They've got to have some other guys step up and take on bigger roles at the wide receiver position. But they've got the running game, and I think Manny Diaz's defense will be outstanding this year. You know, last year they got humiliated and humbled up in Ann Arbor when they gave up over 400 yards rushing. And a lot of that was missed assignments, guys trying to do too much, getting out of character, and they got exposed and they got gashed. But after that game, I thought their defense played exceptionally better down the stretch. 
And, you know, in that game against Utah, they gave up some yards and points in the first half and then shut them down in the second half. So, again, second year for Manny Diaz, second year in the system. They've got some outstanding players at each level of their defense. I mean, all-star caliber, NFL caliber players at at each level of their defense. And so – and they've got depth on defense. So so for a young quarterback, you've got a running game you can lean into and a defense that's going to keep you in every football game. So you don't have to go out there and be a star and make every throw and every play in order for your team to have a chance to win. So Penn State's in a really good position, I think. Here's the only caution I have, and I'm going to say it in our very first inaugural podcast on the Big Ten Talk. Everybody says, okay, they've got to beat Ohio State and Michigan. They've got to beat Ohio State and Michigan. James is 4-14 and against Ohio State and Michigan. They don't have to beat both of them. They have to beat one of them to be in the position that they want to be in, whether they make it to Indianapolis or not, to still have a shot to be in the playoff. But – all the focus is on those two games. I'm going to give you one game that if I'm a Penn State fan, I'm concerned about. Week three, going to Champaign mm. against Brett Bielema's Illinois team. and Because Illinois plays a brand of football that Penn State traditionally has struggled with a little bit. And that's that physical Michigan style, pound the football, slow the game down, you know, hard-nosed defense. And Illinois has played Penn State tough historically. So I think Brett has done a great job there. And that will be a game that uh, they'll be ready. They'll be amped up to play and to host Penn State. And so I think you can't have eyes too far down on Ohio State and Michigan. That Illinois game is going to be a challenge for Penn State. Yeah, that's smart. The fact, by the way, that Abdul Carter, Singleton, and Allen were as good as they were all last year as freshmen was, it was almost like found money. Not to just be yeah. good players, but to be stars basically the, the second they stepped on campus. We'll see how they develop now in year two, but it's a good point. And it's a, I think it trips a lot of teams up, let's put it that way. And certainly with a, a young and inexperienced quarterback compared to what they have, they're going right. to need someone who can lead them. And I, I think James Franklin is up for the challenge. All right, I know we're running out of time here, so let's get to our Xfinity 10G Network Big Connections on and off the field. This week's Xfinity Big Connection, I think it's it's necessary. We're going to Penn State. <laughs> We've got the guy who won them a national championship on the call. Todd was a quarterback at Penn State, in case you don't know, from 79 to 82. Davey O'Brien Award winner in 82 for best quarterback in college football. And the 1982 national champions over Georgia, a game in which I have since gone back to rewatch. And oh, boy. Your mustache. <laughs> in that game no. <laughs> was as high level as I possibly could have ever imagined. Yeah. My dad called it a football mustache. I had 11 <laughs> hairs on each side. Yeah. yeah. So good, man. So good. Uh, Keaton Ellis is from state college and he mentioned in an interview that it almost felt like destiny for him to be a Nittany lion. He went to a Penn state game from nine years old on with his family. He's now a captain and uh, the defense we were talking about is just going to be outstanding, but a, a connection yeah. for both you guys. One of you going for him growing up with it. And I know there's even more connections with this game that you feel hit really close to home for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first of all, again, it was a game we played every year against West Virginia, but to add even more to that, the head coach at West Virginia during my time at Penn state was a guy named Don Nealon and Don Nealon. When I was coming out of high school, uh, Don Nealon was the offensive coordinator at Michigan and was actually recruiting me to Michigan, but Don's from Canton, Ohio. 
he and my dad went to Bowling Green together. They both coached high school together in Canton. So I've known Coach Nealon my whole life, basically. And uh, I said no to him at Michigan. Then shortly after that, he he took the job at West Virginia. So played against him. And then even deeper than that, Jeff Hostetler was in the same recruiting class as I was at Penn State. Jeff had a couple older brothers who played at Penn State. And we battled it out for the starting quarterback all through the spring and all through the fall of our sophomore year, a redshirt freshman year for me. And uh, he ultimately started the season as the number one quarterback. And in week four, I became three, I became the starter. And uh, at the end of that year, Jeff transferred to West Virginia. And so he went down there and played for Coach Nealon. It turned out to be a great situation for him because not only did he start and, and have a great career and then turn that into a great pro career with the Giants and the Raiders, but he also married Don Nealon's daughter. So wow. he's part of the family and he and coach Nealon live on the same property around the lake down there in Morgantown and uh, living the good life. So uh, it was a great connection all the way around for Penn state, West Virginia. Man, that's awesome. How it was it weird though, when you had to actually then get on the field and play against each other, you kind of give the, the bro hug and then you got to move on. Right. Oh Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're competitors. I mean, he wanted the best for his team. I want the best for my team, but you know, Jeff was such a well-liked guy. He still had lots of friends on our team, sure. on the Penn State team. So he was a Pennsylvania guy. So it was fun to battle. But fortunately, you mentioned that overall record against West Virginia. Yeah, uh, I was I was three and zero in the years we played there. We didn't lose to him very often. I get it. Listen, you got a national championship. You got a Super Bowl ring. It all kind of ends up all happy ever after. Right. Uh, right. The other thing I will say, Coach Nealon almost felt like a big east basketball coach and how he handled the rivalry because he went he attacked it head on and if you go back and and read some of the quotes that he had from when you guys would play against each other it essentially was his super bowl every year yeah yeah i mean it was a big game between that game and the pit game i mean those were you know those were two great rivalry games for west virginia and you know he was a competitor he was an ohio guy and uh uh, you know, wanted to win. And he did a great job at West Virginia. West Virginia is not the easiest place to recruit to because it's a small state. They don't have a ton of high school in-state talent, you know, at a high level. So you got to go out and find them other places. And and Don did a great job recruiting the state of Florida, recruiting the state of Ohio, and building a consistent winner there. Yeah. And uh, uh, But it's not, it's not easy. And particularly now, playing in the Big 12, um, you know, geographically, it's it's a pretty tough it's a pretty tough ask for West Virginia. Yeah, no doubt. All right, last thing we want to hit on. Everyone is always asking. Everything I saw on Twitter when it was announced that we were going to be doing this is <laughs> is Taste of the Town coming back, Todd? Yeah. <laughs> is Taste of the Town coming back? Now we're not going to call it Taste of the Town necessarily, but we want to at least give you the floor as to food. Mm culinary experiences i'm not saying you're guy fietti you're much more attractive no. than guy fietti oh, but thank you also you. have much more knowledge than he does especially of the college town scene so i know we're really going week in review so it's hard week yeah. one but tell me what, right. what's on your mind food wise as we start out here yeah so first of all taste of town we had a great run with it right 10 years had a lot of fun met a lot of great people ate a lot of incredible food not going to try to duplicate that now in my time at NBC, but I'm still going to try to find those places. So starting next week, after we've been in State College, I'll give a little report on what the best thing I had to eat was during my time in State College. I'm staying an extra day, so I might have an extra day to, 
to explore. Uh, but leading into week one, I have to say the best thing that I ate this week, mm. uh, my wife and getting ready for this new challenge, she made uh, a chicken marsala and mm. we had some homemade pasta with it. That was fantastic. Uh, it was it was a great home cooked meal to get me ready for the college football season and to kind of usher in this new uh, adventure with NBC. So, but starting next week, it'll be on campus. We'll find uh, we'll find those places uh, and we'll report on them during our podcast on Tuesday. Yeah, I'm excited to to follow along. I will say I'm I'm not going to go food, but just because I was in Ireland, the best thing I drank. Yes, you know I think that's kind of a necessary thing. Of course, you have to have the Guinness. That's a that's a must. But there's a different Irish beer that if you've never had a chance to have, there was when I was at Syracuse, my my roommate, his family friends had a restaurant there. They're Irish themselves. It was called Kitty Hoynes. And if you if you're ever at Syracuse. Go to Kitty Hoynes. It's downtown. It's wonderful. It's okay. Irish cuisine. And they have all the Irish drinks you could ever ask for. And one of them was called Kilkenny, which is an, a region in Ireland. But they have their own specific beer. And, Todd, if you like Guinness, this, to me, is better. It's, better <laughs> okay. first, it's less harsh. goes down smooth. It's wonderful. Wonderful. Kilkenny. Kilkenny. Right. So that was the one we had. And then uh, – Zora and I gave a gave a world to something called a Desperados, which was a tequila infused beer. So I'll go I'll go two <laughs> different options over in Ireland. But I will say this: I, I'd never been, and the best thing was I I come into the elevator with my with my suitcase and all my stuff, and the first thing someone sees me, they go, "Oh, you're just getting in?" I said, "Yeah." They go, "You jet lag?" I go, "Not yet, but I'm sure I will be in a couple hours." They go, "Nothing a good beer won't fix." I'm like, that's the spirit that I've been looking for, man. That's exactly yeah. it. Well, here, here's here's the other thing I'll say, and, and we'll be done. But, uh, you know, we've been together. You know, this will be our first game, obviously. And when we get in the booth, I mean, we're just going to let it fly, right? It'll be great. Uh, but we have been together on a couple of occasions uh, for different things. And, and in each case, we've run into each other in the fitness center, yeah. getting a workout in. So I'm just telling you and forewarning you before we get going, uh, you better keep doing that if you plan to eat with me on the weekends <laughs> in these college towns, because it's essential that you do both. Uh, you, you cannot do one without the other. All right. Well, I'm glad that you at least gave me the forewarning because I'll make sure that the sweat is real. And next time I'm going to make sure that I'm staring you down as I do it. Instead of just being in my zone, I'm going to go straight stare down as I'm on the treadmill. But it'll be good. Now, I like it. We're yeah. like the fitness team. So it's good. All right. Well, this was fun. This is episode one. We've got a whole season ahead of us. Very excited for what should be a fantastic start to Big Ten Saturday night. We appreciate you for tuning in to Big Talk with Todd and Noah. He's Todd Blackledge. I'm Noah Eagle. This episode and all of our episodes are presented by Xfinity 10G Network. Make sure to download and subscribe to the NBC Sports YouTube channel and wherever you get your audio podcast. We'll talk to you next week. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. 
Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.